Welcome to the American Focus Podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, Executive Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. Joining me today, as always, is Casey Harper, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Center Square. We're recording this on Friday, August 19th. Casey, it seems like every week is a busy news week nowadays. President Joe Biden signed the massive new tax and spend bill known as the Inflation Reduction Act, which most economists say won't reduce inflation. Uh, Republican U.S. Representative Lynn Cheney of Wyoming hints at a presidential run after getting clobbered in her Tuesday primary. And this week marked the one-year anniversary of the U.S. military's disastrous exit from Afghanistan. How do you keep up with it all, Casey? Well, Dan, thanks to your uh, tutoring, just being under your tutelage and everything you've taught me over the years has really just takes so much of the credit, you know. Casey, I I think we've known each other for about a year. About a year. Wow. Well, see, that's just another testament to just how good you are, Dan. Also, just let me know. I know raises are coming up, so... um, uh, looking forward to that email. But um, I know <laughs> there is a lot going on. We are very on top of it. The centersquare.com is where you can read about it. You know, we talk about, you know, about five stories every week on the podcast, but there's a lot more uh, that we can never get to. And we can't get to in as much detail as the centersquare.com. So if you are interested in more, that's the place to go. But I mean, I think the place to start is this $740 billion climate tax and healthcare bill, which really came, I mean, you probably remember that. It, it, the general knowledge here in D.C. or the, the common sense uh, general wisdom was that Biden was done as far as his agenda. You know, he had some good things uh, happen, but, you know, it was over. Uh, midterm elections were coming up and, uh, he, he, you know, just getting enough political momentum after what he had done and what the, all the inflation that was happening. It just didn't seem realistic. But really, uh, there was an interesting moment at, when Biden signed the bill, the the $740 bill this week where he looked and he gave this really interesting smile to West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. And then he just handed him the pen. And I think that moment said it all, which is that this was so much actually Joe Manchin's doing uh, more than Biden's. You know, a lot of the proposals that were passed were really um, spearheaded by Biden, but Biden did his best to get this passed and it didn't really happen um, until Joe Manchin came along and really rallied uh, the pieces of the bill that he liked um, he added in some different tax increases and, and um, uh, IRS changes that would actually pay for the bill. And that's how they kind of justify calling it an Inflation Reduction Act, is that it will reduce um, deficit spending, uh, which therefore will reduce inflation, which is really interesting um, that <laughs> they're saying that reducing spending will um, cut inflation because up until now, Biden has like not acknowledged uh, that spending is what causes inflation. His if you listen, yeah, yeah, right. If you listen to Biden administration for the last year, uh, Putin causes inflation and supply chains cause inflation. So it's just kind of funny that uh, you can call, you know, saying that gov- reducing government spending will reduce inflation is really like an admission that his recent government spending increased inflation, I guess. Uh, but that's what, you know, we can, we, I don't know where you want to start. We can dig into the IRS stuff, the climate spending. Uh, there's a lot of green energy spending. Uh, things like insulin are going to be kept at a $35 per month copay. So it's a wide ranging bill. It's a lot of money. Um, and it's going to be some big changes to the IRS. Yeah. So, uh, one of let's, let's talk about the IRS, uh, uh part of it. Cause that seems to have drawn the most criticism from Republicans and independents uh, alike. They're going to spend tens of billions of dollars 
the federal government to hire 87,000 new IRS agents who are going to conduct tax audits uh, on Americans. Um, what's not to like? <laughs> what's not to like indeed. I mean, uh, we made this point last week, but uh, there's not you know, that many billion dollar companies or, or billionaires or giant corporations. If you listen to some of the talking points in support of this bill, they'll say, well, we're just going to hold the wealthy Americans accountable. Um, but it doesn't take 87,000 agents to do that. Um, and, you know, the IRS says, and let, and let, let's, let's, let me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, go ahead. That 87,000 new, new agents that's on top yeah. of the, what, something like 80,000 agents they already have. Yeah. I think it's like 67,000. You can fact check us on that, but this is going to be more than double the, the size. This is going to double the size of the IRS. And so this is no small thing. This is not a marginal increase. This is a really more than a doubling down on auditing. I've talked to a lot of, you know, small business experts, small business people, and they're very concerned about this, um, that this is going to be coming for them. You know, there's about 30, more than 30 million small businesses in this country that are concerned, you know, that this could be a target name. And, and for people listening, you know, if you, uh, if you cut hair in your living room for a little extra money, if you, uh, you know, chop firewood, uh, to, you know, on your land and sell it on the side, if you do some social media marketing for, uh, for a friend and get it paid a little bit, I mean, this is the kind of stuff you need to be thinking about now because there's 87,000 new agents who are going to be looking into this. who are going to be, you know, checking and double checking to make sure that everything's in order. And so wait, wait, uh, let, let, me, let, let me jump in here again. And for, 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 for the listeners who think, well, if you don't cheat on your taxes, why should you worry about being audited by the IRS? Well, it's expensive when you're audited by expensive oh, yes. and time consuming when you're audited by the IRS, you need to get uh, uh, your own legal counsel to work on it, you need you and your company, depending on what uh, what company you have, um, uh, need to dig into old records, and it's 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 just a mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a huge huge time and money suck. Yeah, Even if you mean, haven't cheated on your taxes, right? And uh, you know, no system is perfect. I'm sure people are found guilty that didn't cheat on their taxes. You know, there's always going to be an exception. I mean, so this is something, uh, it is going to be a big, as you said, administrative cost for small businesses. Uh, now uh, briefly, I think that re- you might say, wow, this sounds crazy. Why would I do this? Well, this was a way for, um, the Biden administration to increase tax revenue without raising taxes. And so, um, raising, you know, raising taxes or something on, on people making less than $400,000 would violate a campaign pledge. He really didn't want to do that. So instead of raising taxes, he's going to audit them. <laughs> people right. making less than $400,000, which doesn't, you know, doesn't violate his campaign pledge, but there you go. Some of the other spending in the bill includes in, in, among the criticisms of the bill is the, these massive um, tax credits that are going to go to billion dollar companies to produce um, solar panels, electric vehicles, parts for electric vehicles. Right, right. Um, just briefly uh, talk about that. Yeah, so there's a, uh, some of the spending includes uh, big investments um, in you know what's called like clean energy, $270 billion in tax credits for things like manufacturing wind turbines, solar panels, batteries, other electric vehicle and green technology. Um, you know, and of course, when you spend this much money, there's going to be some things that, uh, you know, are worth supporting. Of course, I think renewable energy probably is a big part of the future and something worth investment. Uh, there are questions about, you know, how much of this actually benefits China because 
China really has cornered their market on um, renewable energy manufacturing and production. Uh, they've kind of looked ahead in the future and said, we want to own this market, you know, in, in the way that, you know, Saudi Arabia and some of these uh, Middle Eastern countries own the oil market, for example. Uh, so when you talk about um, shifting from oil to renewable energy, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons for that. But just know that economically you're shifting from Middle East being your supplier to a lot of China being your manufacturer. So that's a big national security thing to think about. Another tax uh, that is a 15% minimum income tax on companies with over a billion dollars um, in revenue that's helping pay for this. Um, some, you know, one thing that's really con- kind of controversial on the uh, on this bill is there was a $7,500 electric vehicle tax credit. Um, and then there, now there's talk that Ford's going to raise their, you know, price of electric vehicles by 8,500. <laughs> so it's kind of poor timing. I don't know if it's related. It's just kind of a funny, like political thing that these things are often like poor timing, but that it, it plays in the argument against subsidies, which is when you subsidize companies, they just increase, they don't, they don't pass it on to consumers. You know, it does, it just stays in the corporations, doesn't actually make it trickle down to regular Americans. Um, but, you know, there's also spending on the, on the healthcare things. We talked about insulin. There's going to be negotiation of some uh, Medicare, you know, negotiating some uh, drug prices, you know, pros and cons to that. Uh, but it really focuses on healthcare. Um, it focuses on the climate spending and then these new uh, taxes to, to pay for it. Well, I can't wait until the, uh, the reversal of uh, inflation kicks in because uh, Americans are paying way more now uh, for mm-hmm. for gasoline, for food, uh, for for goods, other goods and services uh, than they were just uh, two years ago. So I can't wait for that aspect to kick in. Let's move on to um, uh, the Liz Cheney story. Um, the the U.S. representative from uh, Wyoming uh, faced a primary opponent this week, and she lost pretty badly. Um, afterwards, she, uh, of course, uh, um, she, she's one of the a handful of House Republicans who voted to impeach President D- Donald Trump. She has been a, a, a huge critic of the uh, former mm-hmm. president uh, sitting on the, the panel that's investigating uh, the January 6th riots um, uh, at the Capitol. Um, she got primary uh, uh, Trump endorsed her opponent. She lost big. And afterwards, she hinted that uh, she, uh, she might be running for president. What's your take? Yeah, this is uh, pretty interesting. And you may think, why should I care about Liz Cheney losing in Wyoming? Um, but I think it actually has big implications for these midterms, but especially 2024. Uh, you, you noted that Trump endorsed her opponent, but actually Republican leadership in the House also endorsed her opponent. So she was not just it wasn't just a petty you know, Trump doesn't like this Cheney thing. The the Republican Party largely abandoned her. She was the House GOP chair. So it's very interesting for someone in party leadership to be abandoned by the party and then to lose their primary by 37 points. That that was the position, that leadership position was one that um, the Republicans kicked her out of um, Mm -hmm. uh, last year. Right, yeah. So she had been in party leadership, was kicked out and then lost her primary by 37 points, which is just like a whopping, incredible loss. For an incumbent, even if it was just an incumbent without being a part of the leadership loss, it would be huge. So um, it, it really pitted the pro-Trump and anti-Trump wings of the Republican Party against each other. And what it seemed to show, at least in this small example, is that the pro-Trump wing of the Republican Party, at least in Wyoming, and I think in a lot of other parts around, around the country, is still very strong, very motivated, 
um, still listening to what um, former President Trump is saying, taking you know notes from him on who to vote for, who not to vote for. And another an interesting you know tidbit that I, I dug up was that of the ten House Republicans who voted to impeach um, Trump, only two will be on the ballot this November, and that's from five thirty eight. But um, that means that, mean, that means that eight are no longer going to be in Congress. Right. And some of that was, you know, people who knew they were leaving Congress, so they were less afraid to vote to impeach Trump. But uh, it's not just that. It's people like Liz Cheney who lost their primaries. So, I mean, if you're Trump or Trump supporter, you kind of have to feel good about that, that those uh, Republicans, we've seen this you know, time and time again, the, the Republicans who stand up to Trump get squished <laughs> pretty quickly. I mean, you saw it. Uh, Ted Cruz almost was destroyed by it. But others um, who stood up to Trump in, in the election uh, or throughout you know, his term have, have just been destroyed politically. And, and Liz Cheney's the latest victim, these 10 House um, Republicans who did it, most of them were wiped out or knew they would lose and left or didn't or voted against Trump because they knew they were leaving. And so it's still uh, very politically risky in the Republican Party to to take on Trump. So I know we have a very important uh, midterm elections here coming November um, 8th. Control of the U.S. House is at stake. Control of the U.S. Senate. Um, is is at stake, but I still I, I still can't stop thinking about uh, 2024 and what's going to happen there with with you know the, the President Biden going to be in his 80s by then, all, you know, already sh- showing several signs of of decline, stumbles all the time. Is he going to run again? Of course, former President Donald Trump um, at least sounds like he's planning on running. And then you've got these upstart other candidates, the Florida. Florida, Florida Governor Ron um, DeSantis on the Republican side. Now, perhaps Liz uh, Cheney um, on the Democrat um, side. You got California Governor Gavin Newsom, Illinois billionaire governor, J.B. Pritzker. It's going to be fascinating. You know, it really is. Um, I think the DeSantis versus Trump relationship is probably the most interesting of all of it because DeSantis has a lot of clout. I think he's a definitely one of the front runners in Republican areas, but he said that he doesn't want to run against Trump. Uh, so much of his start in politics came from Trump. So, you know, how they sorted out, would Trump, would DeSantis be his VP or would, or would he wait? Um, you know, I think Trump is aging. Uh, his health should be, you know, should be talked about at least. It is a concern. He seems to be pretty healthy right now, but he, um, you know, he's also he's, up there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's getting up there in years. So it, you're right. It's going to be very interesting. Well, sticking on the subject of uh, former President uh, Trump, we talked last week about the FBI's raid of his uh, Mar-a-Lago estate in uh, Florida looking for classified White House documents that the president um, allegedly took from the White House and, and, and kept his at his estate. Um, Republicans, of course, um, call it a political witch hunt. Um, this week, the House uh, Judiciary Republicans uh, ratcheted up their investigation uh, of the, the FBI's raid of Trump. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, this, uh, you know, one thing that's been really interesting about those raid is it's rallied the Republican Party around uh, pr- former President Trump in a way that he hadn't had in a while. You know, Trump really made his uh, issues contesting the 2020 election. And then January 6th and, uh, you know, the, the way people were being treated after that. And a lot of Republicans just don't have the stomach for going along with President Trump on those issues. Um, and so they've been silent or they kind of backed away from him or just focused on other things, focused on attacking 
Biden. But then this raid happened and a lot of Republicans who have been silent or hadn't talked much about the 2020 election suddenly came out full throated support for Trump and and attacking the way that he'd been treated. And so um, the FBI has like unwittingly rallied the Republican Party around Trump in a way that hadn't happened, I think, in years. And uh, part of that is a lot of, you know, Republicans saying we need to investigate how this happened. Uh, And so Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee earlier this week, um, they ratcheted up, as you said, that investigation into the FBI raid. Um, That includes, you know, uh, Ohio Rep. Jim Jordan, who's who's on a leader on that committee. But they have called they sent what's called preservation notices to Attorney General Merrick Garland, um, FBI Director Christopher Wray and White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. And preservation notices basically put people on notice that they need to preserve their documents because um, for legal proceedings, for investigatory purposes, so that um, how, how this happened, why this raid happened, what the evidence for it and the motive for it can be looked into. Um, you know, Chip Roy gave this quote. I think it, it captures a lot of the sentiment. The American people deserve answers about the FBI's unprecedented raid on former President Trump's home. We will settle for nothing but complete cooperation from the DOJ. So you see kind of a renewed steely resolve. And that word unprecedented has been thrown around a lot. Um, you know, unprecedented, unprecedented, the way a former president has been treated. Uh, you saw that, and we talked about this last week, that for all Trump's talk about, you know, putting Hillary Clinton in jail and uh, locking her up and going after DC, he didn't really actually <laughs> go very aggressive against any of his. He didn't friends. act on it, right? No, he didn't really. It was so campaign wars. It was. And, and we see that happens a lot. Um, there's kind of an unspoken agreement to not go after that. Just because you see, you've seen in history and you see in, um, less stable countries around in the around the world. The hallmark of them is that new leaders go after their old enemies, um, and so it, it de- it's destabilizing for the country when you see that. I mean, if a former president really did do something, you know, deserving of it, uh, then okay. But that's the question: Did he really do something deserving of it? Now, the FBI said that there were classified documents um, at Trump's home, uh, which is really interesting. It'd be interesting to see what those documents were, if, or what the nature of them was. Course, we won't be able to read them probably, but um, you know, all classified documents are not created equal. Um, there's a big difference between you know nuclear code type information and a random briefing. Uh, go ahead. Right. I was I was just going to say the the, the nuclear uh, arsenal stuff. Someone leaked that uh, at some point after the raid. That oh, that's what they were going after. Trump had these nuclear documents, um, but that sort of quieted down. And I'm not sure if it was debunked or. Um, uh, or, or what, but you, you don't hear about that anymore. Yeah. It's, it's just a weird place to be in where you have a raid on a former president and you don't know why or what's going on. People aren't really talking about it. And the FBI, the kind of the message is, Hey, just trust us on this one. But people really don't trust the FBI that much anymore after, and, and the DOJ and these investigatory, you know, at the federal well, level. Well, let's, because, let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, it's not just the Republican politicians, the elected officials mm-hmm. who are criticizing um, the FBI, who are questioning the integrity of the FBI. Uh, you wrote about a new poll this week. America's trust in the FBI is eroding. That's right. This is a Rasmussen Reports poll, which showed that 44 percent of surveyed Americans say that this raid we've been discussing has made them trust the FBI less. Um, so 44 percent. So coming up on half of Americans said this specific event has eroded their trust. Um, 29% said it made them trust the FBI more. And then 23% said they didn't really care. It didn't make a difference. So 
you know, when we talk about top level setting this rate aside, uh, 50% of voters have a favorable impression of the FBI. Um, 46% view the FBI unfavorably. So it's just really interesting that, you know, one of the top law enforcement agencies has poll numbers that are similar to those of a national like presidential candidate, <laughs> you know, 50% support, 46% being against you. Like that's a pretty standard, you know, something, you know, former president Obama might've had in his term when it comes to support. So that, that something that, that a law enforcement agency could have poll numbers like a partisan politician is not good. It's really uh, troubling. And, and I think, you know, I think a lot of Democrats trusted, um, you know, law enforcement less because they didn't trust Trump. And so that eroded some of their trust. And then I think a lot of people on the right feel like conservatives and, um, you know, President Trump in particular have been poorly treated by these law enforcement agencies. I mean, you think about things like some of these investigations, like the Mueller investigation, really just, it was talked about so much in the media, like a smoking gun. And ultimately it, it kind of came up to be nothing. Um, so much of the accusations and swirl around Russia, you know, Russia it kind of just all came up empty. Um, and, and Americans were just, it was forced down their throat through the media for, for years that uh, Trump was guilty. And then it kind of turned out to not be true. And so, you know, people it's just not all connected to Trump either. Yeah. Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, last year directed the FBI to investigate parents who were mm-hmm. protesting at school board problem. meetings. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, I, I can understand it. The, the FBI and uh, uh, the Justice Department overall has made some questionable, questionable decisions. Yeah. And usually, you know, these law enforcement agencies try to stay above the fray, but it seems in recent years they've gotten more involved in the, the political fray and the politicization. So um, maybe that's the lesson to take away here is that, you know, less political, either left or right, will, will help restore some of that integrity. All right, let's move on, Casey. Uh, this week marked the one-year anniversary of the uh, the chaotic and deadly withdrawal, and I'm reading your words here, uh, of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Um, uh, Republicans um, uh, have a report that were uh, a year later about that withdrawal and what it meant. What can you tell us here? Yeah, I mean, it's a, of course, as you said, deadly, very sad. Um, the, the state of Afghanistan now is is not great. There's a lot of oppression from the Taliban. There's a lot of, you know, now that who's who's controlling um, so much of the country. There's a lot of violence coming out of the Taliban, a lot of oppression of, you know, young girls having difficulty getting educated, things like that. So um, there's also a talk of a food crisis in Afghanistan. Uh, so, you know, there in Afghanistan, there's a lot of problems happening. If you remember a year ago, the withdrawal, uh, was the top story for weeks and weeks. It actually did a lot. That withdrawal, um, if you look at Biden's poll numbers, I would say that was kind of the beginning of the end. You know, his his support had waned a little bit, um, but when that withdrawal happened, I think that's what was one of the biggest impetuses for the, the sharp decline over the next few months in his approval. Um, so I think it didn't play well politically, uh, but, you know, the report from House Foreign Affairs Committee um, found that about 800 American citizens were left behind which is far more than the Biden administration said, you know, they, they had said there was a much lower number. Um, you know, there's reports of things like hundred or something like that, but 800 is what the house Republicans say, you know, maybe it's somewhere in the middle. It's you know, of course, it's pretty hard to verify that, but they're saying it's eight times higher than what Biden said. And then there's um, many, you know, thousands, maybe some reports say tens of thousands of uh, those, you know, people who are not necessarily U S citizens, but they were helping in Afghanistan. 
Um, and now they're, they're actually this left there. Uh, and, you know, you may care like, well, great, they're not citizens. Who cares? But, you know, we went in there and we promised Afghan nationals and other people, hey, if you help us with translating, if you help giving us intel, if you help um, help, you know, our agents and our military with different things, we'll take care of you. And then we just left him there. And, you know, it, word gets out if you're uh, uh, the, Af- the Afghan guy who was helping out the U.S. military, the Taliban finds out about that. I'm sure you're in a lot of trouble. So who knows how many people have been punished for helping the U.S. But so you may say, well, that's sad, but it had to happen. But it actually does a lot of damage to the reputation yeah. internationally. So if people know, hey, don't help the U.S. military because they'll abandon you and just leave you, you know, any point, right. at any time. So like, who would trust you? Know, who would trust us uh, if they know what happened to the Afghanis? Uh, from at the hands of the Taliban because of um, what the U.S. did. So, of course, the U.S. Thir- 13 U.S. service members were killed tragically. And then as President Trump uh, often points out, you know, $7 billion in military equipment was left behind. So, you know, a lot of it was pretty messy. Um, and it's been a year uh, in Afghanistan. A year later, it's not not in great shape. Okay, so we only have a cu- couple minutes left. I want to try and squeeze in um, one more story. It's uh, past the midpoint of August. Many uh, American students are back in school. Many more um, will be returning to school here in the next week, next couple of weeks. Um, the nation's capital, Washington, D.C.'s school district, still has a vaccine uh, mandate uh, for students, um, and that's drawing a lot of criticism. Uh, tell us, Tell us about this. That's right. Most families uh, returning to school this this August are worried about school supplies, maybe school clothes, um, getting back you know, their kids back in the routine of waking up early. But for those parents in Washington, D.C., they're worried about vaccine mandates and maybe they can't send their kids to school uh, <laughs> because Washington, D.C. is one of the only cities in the country that has a vaccine mandate for students, for kids over 12 years old. If you want to go to school in D.C., you have to have a vaccine. So, you know, um, House Republican or, you know, many leading Republicans are calling on them to end this. Uh, Congress has a measure of oversight of Washington, D.C. That's why they're getting involved in a kind of local kind of a local issue. But the D.C. City Council has put this in place. And so, you know, at the end of August, kids return to school. There's still a, you know, looks like a little over a week um, for them to repeal this. Um, But one thing that's being pointed out here is, you know, uh, I wrote about a poll recently that showed there's a third of parents who say they will not vaccinate their kids pretty much under any circumstances. And then what we've seen is that minority um, kids are vaccinated at much lower rates. And so this policy is actually made, I don't think intentionally, but it's really designed to uh, keep minority kids from going to school. <laughs> so it's not yet. I think it's really controversial. I mean, DC was been pretty, pretty tough on the, on the COVID um, mandates and stuff, but Requiring 12 year olds to get vaccinated may be a bridge too far. We'll see if they stick with their mandate. And and we we all know because study after study have shown the disaster that was remote learning, um, the learning loss, oh, yeah. per, it, the learning loss suffered um, by all students, but particularly students um, uh, in in in, um, in in low income families, in minority families. Um, so if you you force a child, a twelve year old child who's not vaccinated, to to, to um, spend the school year learning remotely, that mm-hmm. that gap in learning is only going to grow. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it also it assumes that you have things like internet. <laughs> you yeah. know, a lot of you know poor families they don't have internet or at least not reliable internet. So it just it trickles down to the bottom in a negative way. Uh, and I know, you know, I know a couple of 
kids, um, school age kids in DC and ask them about remote learning and they hate it and they do it. You know, he does it. He's a, he's like a 12 year old boy. He lays in bed on his pillow and he puts the computer right there and he falls asleep during class and he stays up all night playing video games. I mean, this is, you know, of course anecdotal, but I think he's probably pretty representative of a lot of um, young kids. So I think I would have done the same thing. Well, thank you for your insight, Casey, and all that's happening in our nation's capital. But that's all the time we have this week. A reminder to our listeners, you can find all of the Center Squares podcasts at americastalking.com. Take a look. Please subscribe. There is no cost. This has been the America in Focus podcast for Casey Harper. I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.